0: Well, good morning, Bearcats. Um, who feels like the opposite of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed today? Anybody else? Um, I you know I feel like a few years ago, before everybody had smartphones and Apple watches and everything, on uh, on. On daylight savings time, I couldn't even remember what it was. On daylight savings time, uh, we, we, we would be late, or we, we'd wake up an hour late and be like, "Oh no, it's 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 what what o'clock?" And then we we kind of be late, rushing out the door and stuff. Um, but but now with smartphones and Apple watches and everything, it's like you're probably like me this morning, where I, I woke up with my alarm and I was like, "Why am I so tired? Why am I so tired?" And you know, I was, "Oh, it's because I had a, a, a hour less of sleep last night." I was talking to. Matt Trebbing was, was saying this morning, he was saying that if there was a president, if there was a candidate who ran on abolishing daylight savings time, how many of you would vote for that person? How many of you vote for that person? Right. Well, I think we are um, whatever the opposite of bright eyed and bushy tailed bearcats is this morning. We are maybe some dark eyed, flat tailed bearcats. Or whatever you want to call it, but um, but thank you for being here. Uh, really excited to dive into the word together today with, with you. Um, so I, I want to start. I want to start by reading a uh, reading one of my favorite books. This is a, a book that you might have have heard of before. This is called Are You My Mother? Has anybody heard of this book before? Anybody read this book? Has anybody kind of like me where you? You grew up having your parents read this book to you, and now you're reading it to your own kids. Anybody else like that? Okay, well let me read this to you. Um, this is "Are You My Mother?" by P. D. Eastman. I don't know why it's important. Not any of you have heard of P. D. Eastman, but I figured I'd give him credit. This is what it says. So the, the one thing you need to know about "Are You My Mother?" is that the uh, the protagonist. <laughs> The 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 bird. Um, there's a certain point where he um, where he he finds this like big backhoe kind of like uh, crane looking construction machine thing, and he calls it a scary snort. Okay, that's 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 all you need to know. If you haven't heard the book before, that's that's all you need to know. It'll make sense. Okay. A mother bird sat on her egg. The egg jumped. I must get something for my baby bird to eat, she said, and so she went away. Inside the nest, the egg jumped. It jumped and it jumped and it jumped, until out came a baby bird. Where is my mother, he said. He did not see her anywhere. I will go and look for her, he said. Out of the nest he went, down, 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 plop. The baby bird could not fly, but he could walk. Now I will go and find my mother, he said. Are you my mother? The baby bird asked the kitten. The kitten just looked and looked. It did not say a thing. Are you my mother? The baby bird asked the hen. No, said the hen. Are you my mother? The baby bird asked the dog. I am not your mother. I am a dog, said the dog. Are you my mother? The baby bird asked the cow. How could I be your mother, said the cow. I am a cow. The baby bird stopped to think. The kitten and the hen were not his mother. The dog and the cow were not his mother. I have a mother, said the baby bird. I know I do. I will find her. I will, I will. Just then the baby bird saw a big thing. You are my mother, he said. The big thing said, snort. Oh, no, said the baby bird, you are not my mother, you are a scary snort. The snort lifted the baby bird up, up, up. And then something happened. The snort put the baby bird right back in the tree. The baby bird was home. Just then, the mother bird came back. I know who you are, said the baby bird. You're not a kitten or a hen or a dog. You're not a cow or a snort. You are a bird, and you are my mother. Well, for how many people does that bring back some memories for? Okay, um, well, so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about what we've called the Salt and Light Project. And what we said is that in a culture today where the world around us is more and more rejecting Christian beliefs, rejecting Christian values and Christian principles, as we're, we're facing this world, those of us who desire to remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus, we have a choice, okay? We have a choice to make. How are we gonna respond? And for some of us, this kind of activates our fight instinct, okay? We have this attitude where it's like we have to go attack the world, we have to beat the world at its own game, you know, we have to shout louder, we have to gang up on them before they gang up on us, we have to cancel them before they cancel us. And to this, I think Jesus would say, Peter, put away your sword. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. He who lives by cancel culture dies by cancel culture. On the other hand, for some of us, maybe as we look at the world around us, it activates our flight instinct where we say, oh no, the world's, the, the world's so hostile towards Christian beliefs. You know, they're teaching all this crazy stuff in schools and so we're just gonna kinda hide over in this corner and hope people just leave us alone, right? And to that, I believe Jesus would say, you don't have to be afraid of the world because I have already overcome the world and I saved you not to take you away from the world but to send you into the world so you can be salt and you can be light within the world. Okay, so what we've been saying is that as as people who are called to be salt and are called to be light, that means, what does that look like practically? It means that we ask two questions, that we're looking at the world around us, not attacking it, not raging against it, and not running away from it either. What we've been saying is that we ask two questions. The first question is looking around and asking, Lord, where is their brokenness? Where is their confusion? Where is their lostness? where, where is their suffering around me? Or where is their brokenness and confusion in the lives of the people in the world around me? And number 2, asking the question, Lord, how do you want to use me to bring healing, to bring truth? to bring comfort, to bring clarity into this world, in those areas of confusion, and those areas of brokenness. So where is there brokenness and the confusion in the world? And Lord, how do you want to use me as salt and light to go step into those things, to be an agent of your healing, to be an agent of your truth? Now, um, some of you might be thinking, why did he just read us a children's book? Well, the reason I read that book is that today we're looking at a passage where Jesus is telling us, if you look at the world around you, as he looks at the world around him, both 2,000 years ago and then today, he's telling us that what we see is there's a lot of people that are feeling kind of like that baby bird. There's a lot of people who were searching for something, who were longing for something, who were looking for something or clinging to something, hoping that it's going to give them a sense of significance and security and identity. And at the risk of stretching the analogy a little bit too far, for many of us and many of the people around us, maybe we've grabbed onto something, thinking this is what's going to give us that security and this is what's going to give us that sense of significance, only to find that that thing is not our mother but rather a scary snort. Well, let me pray for us and then we're gonna dive into the word. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you that you didn't leave us without instructions and without help. You left us with your word and with your spirit. And so Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that you would use your spirit to work in me, to work in each of my brothers and sisters here. Help us to understand your word. Help us to believe it. Help us to obey it and help us to be able to teach it to others too. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 9.35. Matthew 9.35. So Matthew 9.35, so the context here is Jesus has been traveling all around the, uh, the northern part of the kingdom of Israel, and he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been casting out demons. And we're, we're gonna look today in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, we're gonna look at three things that Jesus does. Three things that Jesus does. So um, start reading in, in verse 35. So Matthew nine thirty five through 38, it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, Okay so three things in this passage that we see that Jesus does three things that Jesus does the first thing that Jesus does is he notices he notices so Jesus if you think about this Jesus is not so caught up in his own life in his own cares and his own ministry and his work and his family and his relationships that he doesn't notice the people who are around him it would be so easy. Jesus has hundreds and thousands of people coming up to him every single day, you know, wanting him to heal them, wanting him to answer questions. It would be so easy for the people around him just to turn to this kind of like nameless, faceless blob, right? But, but that, that's not what happens. Jesus still notices people. He takes the time. He cares enough to notice the individual people around him to see how they're doing. Okay, well, what does Jesus notice when he notices the people around him? Well, he says that he notices that the people are like that—they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. A, a couple weeks ago, I was reading the story where it was saying that there was this uh, there was th- this flock of of sheep, and um, and one thing sheep are known for is sheep are known for not being able to. To guide themselves. If they're left to their own devices, they're going to get really lost, and they're probably going to hurt themselves, okay? So um, there's the story where there was this this flock of sheep, and the shepherds were having breakfast or taking a break or something like that, and and there were, the, the sheep kind of, one thing about sheep is they have this very strong herd instinct, okay? They have this very strong herd instinct. So when sheep are trying to figure out where to go, they don't say, oh, there's a cliff over there, and there's, green pastures over here, so so I'm going to go over here and not over here. They don't do that. They have this herd instinct, which means that they tend to blindly follow the sheep around them. And so what happened is the sheep kind of gradually start drifting towards this cliff, and then one sheep falls off the cliff, and then another sheep falls off the cliff, and then you know how where this is going, right? They're all There's like 1,500 sheep that were part of this flock that all jumped off this cliff because the sheep in front of them was doing it, right? And Sheep, this, that's, that's the point that Jesus is making here, is that sheep are not able to guide themselves. They're not able to chart their own course. If left to their own devices, they're gonna become very lost, and they're probably gonna hurt themselves too. Well, the second thing, a second thing that sheep are known for is that sheep are not able to defend themselves. Sheep are not able to defend themselves. Okay, sheep don't have, sheep are not like bear cats, Okay, they don't have fangs. They don't have claws. They are not the most dangerous animal in the world, or even the second most dangerous animal in the world, or probably not even on the top ten list. So sheep, sheep are are, are completely defenseless. If there is a predator, if there's a wolf, or if there's there's some type of predator that comes, that the sheep there's no way the sheep can can protect itself. Okay, it's just going to get it's going to get eaten. All right. So, and and for sheep, it's no good saying okay we're gonna teach these sheep how to use a compass, we're gonna teach these sheep how to use GPS, or we're gonna teach these sheep some jujitsu or or something like that or, or, or something. No, that's not what they need. If you want the sheep to be secure, if you want them to be safe, if you want them to go in the right direction, they need a shepherd, that they need a shepherd. And without a shepherd to protect the sheep and to guide the sheep into green pastures, they're gonna get very lost they're gonna get very hurt, and, and, and they're probably, they're probably gonna die. Okay, so, so what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that the people, when he looks around at the people around him 2,000 years ago, and the same thing when he looks around at, at us and the people in our culture today, he sees a lot of people who are just like sheep without a shepherd, who are searching for something, who are longing for something, something that's gonna give them security, something that's gonna give them a sense of of significance, and they're trying to find it on their own, but are wandering off in all types of, of, of kind of dangerous, dangerous directions, right? So what are some of the, as we look at the culture around us, what are some directions, as we think about sheep and the tendency to kind of wander off from the shepherd, if the shepherd's not keeping an eye on them, if the shepherd's not guiding them well, or if they're, not, if they're not following the shepherd, what are some different ways that the people around us, and maybe even some of us, and likely some of us too, are, are wandering off in, in, in different directions? Well, let me give you three. Okay, so I was at a, uh, a few weeks ago, Lindsay and I were at, uh, it, was, it was Valentine's Day, and so we went out for, for a date um, on, on Valentine's Day, we went to, to a Chinese restaurant. Okay, Lindsay and I, we lived in China for 13 years, and so it's kind of, it feels like a little taste of our other home to, to go to a, a really nice, authentic Chinese restaurant. And the owner of this restaurant is in downtown Kerry. It's actually is kind of from the same part of China that we lived in for a long time, so it's kind of neat. And um, so, so we're at this restaurant, and, and we sit down, and, you know, what is, what is the mark of a good, authentic Chinese restaurant? Well, what's the mark of a good Chinese restaurant? It's that you go in, and there's Chinese people there, right? Um, so, and that's the way this place was. We, we go in, and we sit down, and, and, and we, we see, you know, look around us, and, and most of the people that, that are around us are, are Chinese, and we hear them talking, and Lindsay and I speak, speak Mandarin, so we can pick up on some conversations and stuff like that. But, but there's this one, there was one table um, of, of people that was really close to us that kind of stood out to me. And it was, this was a, a family that was getting together, um, and there were three generations. You could tell there was the, the grandparents, there was the, uh, the parents, and then there was the, the kids, like you know, elementary school, middle school age kids. And as you, you kind of hear them talk, it's, it's interesting because they're, they're kind of talking back and forth, and it's really, you, know, it's, you can tell they really care about each other, but they're talking back and forth, and it's interesting just hearing the languages they speak. Because like you can tell the grandparents are really comfortable in Chinese um, and they speak a little bit of broken English, but if they try to communicate with one of the, the waiters or with somebody else, it's, kinda, it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit tough. And, and the, the, the parents are fluent in both Chinese and, and English, okay, so they can kinda, they can kinda do, do both and they can order the food and stuff like that and they can talk to the kids. But then the kids, the, the kids might speak a little bit of Chinese, uh, but they're most comfortable in English. Right, So this conversation is fascinating. It's this kind of random sort of, not random, but this sort of back and forth of some, some English, some Chinese, and some, some back and forth, and some, some broken English, some broken Chinese. And, um, you know, as people who have lived overseas like Lindsay and I have, it's, um, th- there's something that happens when you are living in another culture, when you're a first generation or maybe even a second generation immigrant or when you have, like many people around us today have, having three generations living in the same house like that. There's this feeling that you're often caught in between two worlds. There's this feeling that you're often caught in between two worlds, okay? Has has anybody experienced that before? Where it's kind of like, you know, if... if, um, that the, the, the grandparents who, who, maybe, who maybe came to, to, to America later in life, that they're still kind of holding on to the, the host culture or their home culture, whether that's China or whether that's India or whether that's whatever part of the world it is. And, and, the, uh, and including religious beliefs, including traditions and culture and stuff like that. And, and then you have the, uh, the, then you have the, the parents who are, are going hard after their career, who are, are, are trying to live the American dream, hoping their kids are gonna be doctors and lawyers and engineers or, or stuff like that. And, and then you have the, the younger generation, the younger generation who has these expectations and they have this, this culture that they're part of, but what they're thinking about on a daily basis is how to play basketball like Steph Curry and how to fit in with their friends at school, right? So it's very easy to feel caught in between two different worlds or three different worlds in the sense of, well, who am I really? What, what, am, what do I believe really? You know, we kinda had Hinduism or, or, or Buddhism or, or, or something like that back in, back in the country that my parents or grandparents came from. And you know, there's some Christianity and different religions around here, and then you have the American dream and you have all this type of stuff. Who am I really? It's easy to feel caught in between two different worlds. There's a, a survey that we did um, a, a while back, and we got the results in in January 2021. That said, that of the people who live within a five minute drive of our church property, the people who live within a five minute drive of our church property, that about a third of them are Asian. About a third of them are Asian. Now, some of those are just like me, and and grew up, you know. Born and born and raised in, in North Carolina, right? But there's many others who are like that family that I just mentioned, who are first-generation immigrants, or who are second-generation immigrants, or who are you know, or who are trying to figure out you know, am I am I this? Am I Chinese? Am I Indian? Am I am I American? Am I something in between? Right? That are they're looking for a sense of of who they are. Right? Well, I, I was as I was in this restaurant, I uh, there's um, there's another person that I noticed, two other people that I noticed. And um, you know, these these two these two people weren't sitting together, but they were in different parts of of the restaurant. And uh, it, it was it, it was clear that these two people that they were um, that they were biological men who were living as as women. The biological men who were living as as women. They were they were with they were with somebody else. They were on um, yeah they were they were going out for dinner just like we were. And, um, and it, it, it seemed that they were, they were likely what many people would identify as, as trans, trans women or biological men who are, who are living and who are presenting themselves and who are identifying themselves as, as women, okay? Now, I, I want to be very clear um, that when we see trans people, that gender dysphoria is a very real thing. Okay, it's a, it's a very real thing something that many people experience but and when we see people who are who are trans who are experiencing gender dysphoria who have some type of gender confusion we should not be grossed out we should not be you know disgusted or something like that oh no you know don't let my kids see that or or, or something like that because these are when I, when I look at these, these two people that I saw in, in this restaurant, when I see them, I see two beautiful, wonderful, precious image bearers of God who are every bit as much as valuable as I am or anybody else's, but who at the same time are also experiencing a high level of confusion. When you're experiencing confusion on such a basic level, on such a basic level as, am I a man or am I a woman? And and that's a real thing. When you're experiencing confusion on such a basic level like that, that is, when Jesus looks at that, what he sees is a sheep who is looking for a shepherd. Sheep who is looking for a shepherd. And in our culture today where you have some people who might be experiencing gender dysphoria and they go to the people around them, they go to their, their peers or they go to their friends or, or even some, some, some of their, their trusted advisors, their, their teachers, or even their pastors. And the advice that they're given is, oh, well, you should consider changing your pronouns and starting hormone therapy. That's the epitome of the blind leading the blind. That's the epitome of what we were just talking about, of this flock of sheep who, you know, this one's following that one, and that one's following this one, and they're all kind of drifting towards this cliff, and and nobody's really leading, but they're kind of drifting that way. And Jesus looks looks at that, and he says, these are people who are longing for a shepherd, people who need a shepherd. What about you? What about you? What are you looking to, what are you clinging to, hoping that it's gonna give you a sense of identity? What are you clinging to, hoping that it's gonna give you a sense of significance and a sense of, of security? You now, I, I think it's interesting, um, very often, I have very little motivation to share the gospel. I have very little motivation to share the gospel. Can anybody else relate to that? Where you kind of hear, hey, this is something you should be doing. And you're like, yeah, I, I, I know. But it's really hard to get excited about it. And so you hear, you know, you hear Matt or you hear me or you hear David talking about, you know, going to the serve at the the marathon weekend next weekend and and having a chance to build relationships and getting to know our neighbors and praying for them and sharing our testimonies. And it's just hard to get excited about it. Why is that? I think the main reason is that for many of us, we don't get excited about sharing the gospel because we're not experiencing the gospel. We don't get excited about sharing the gospel. Because we're not experiencing the gospel. What is it for you that you are looking to and clinging to to give you a sense of significance and security? How would you answer this question? How would you answer this question? If only If only people around me saw me as blank, then I could be content. If only people around me saw me as blank, then I could be content. How would you fill in that blank? Maybe you would think, if only I could be certain that the people around me saw me as a good mother, then I would be content. If only the people around me saw me as a good father, then I could be content. If only the people around me saw me as competent and hardworking, then I could be content. What's in that blank for you? Because so often, I think the reason we don't have motivation to tell other people about Jesus is because the gospel isn't good news for us. Because for, for us, you know, what we hear that the Creator of the world has designed us. He has saved us. He's given us value. He's created us in His image. He's forgiven us. He's declared us righteous. He's given us an eternal home in heaven. And that doesn't matter nearly as much to us as whether or not the people around us think that we're a good athlete. Or the people around us think that we're a good mother. Or the people around us think that we are a hardworking person of integrity. But if for you, if only people around me saw me as blank, then I could be content. If there's anything in that blank for you, If there's anything you need other people to see you as on top of the way Jesus already sees you if you trust in him, then you're a sheep without a shepherd. Or at very least, you're a sheep who is forgetting about his or her shepherd or who is wandering away from their shepherd. That's the first thing Jesus does is he notices. The second thing Jesus does is he has compassion. He has compassion. It would be so easy for Jesus to look out at these different people going different directions, finding their identity, clinging to to different things, and just be put up with them. Just be fed up with them. Just be annoyed. But that's not what he does. His heart goes out to them. Turn with me to, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, 24 and 25. This is the way Jesus responded to the sheep that he saw, to the people he saw who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It says, he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd of and to the overseer of your souls. Jesus desires us to come to him and to be healed. Have you experienced the relief, the joy, and the peace that comes when we're able to take whatever's in that blank for us and to say, you know what? That's a good thing. I want that. I'm going to be moving towards that, but I do not need that to be content. That's what the Apostle Paul experienced when he says in Philippians, when he says that he's learned the secret to be content in any and every situation. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you learned the secret that regardless of how people see you, regardless of what's going on in your life, you can be content because of who you are in Christ. Well, the more we start to experience this, the more we start to experience this, we'll find ourselves naturally excited to tell other people about it. So what does it look like for us to be salt and light in this world? Well, in this confused culture where people are searching for identity, searching for significance, and searching for security, God has called us, to invite people to discover who they were designed to be in Christ. God has called us to invite people to discover who they were designed to be in Christ. He's invited us to help people see, to experience first and to help other people see too that we are not defined by our feelings, whether it's our our sexual feelings, our feelings about our gender, our feelings about something else, that we are not defined by the desires that we have. Instead, we are defined by, we find our identity in the one who desired us so much that when we were like sheep without shepherds, he came down to die on the cross so that we could become a part of the bride of Christ. We are not defined, we're not defined by how well we can fit in. We're not defined by being American or being, being Indian or being Chinese or being, or being whatever or being, or fitting in, in in this culture or that culture or fitting in at school or fitting in in this country or, or fitting in in this workplace. We're not defined by that but we are defined and we invite other people to discover the joy of being defined, not by those things, but by being citizens of the kingdom of heaven, who to one degree or another, as long as we're on this earth, are gonna feel like strangers, whether we were born and raised here or whether we just came here last week. We get to invite people to experience the joy of what it feels like to realize that we are not defined by the praise of other people, by somebody saying to you, you're a good mom, you're a good dad, you're such a hard worker, you're so good at blank. Instead, we are defined not by what we can do, but by what he has done for us. And for you, you might be listening to this today and think that's crazy. That is ridiculous. How in the world could I possibly be defined by something somebody else has done for me, by a citizenship that somebody else has freely given me and not by the way I feel, but the way somebody else feels about me? Well, you can. And that's the freedom, that's the healing that we have when we come back to our shepherd. That's the second thing Jesus does is he has compassion. The third thing Jesus does is it says that he prays, it says he prays. He says to his disciples, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. But what he's talking about here, what he's talking about here is that there are people all around us who are searching, who are longing for security, for a sense of significance, and are are ready to respond if only somebody would go and tell them. If only there was somebody who was experiencing the joy of knowing who they are in Christ, and that that would overflow onto them. They would be ready to respond. So Jesus prays, it says he tells his disciples to pray, and then in Luke's account it actually says that he stayed up all night praying himself. And the next day is when he appointed his disciples and sent out the 12 to go go and preach the gospel, okay? So the three things Jesus does, he, he, uh, he notices, he has compassion, and then he prays. Well, what does this look like for us on a very practical level? What does this look like for you and me as we get ready to close here on a very practical level? Well, as we are seeking to be salt and light, the first thing that we have to do, the first thing we have to do is to be daily renewed ourselves by our shepherds. Whatever's in that blank for you, what does it look like for you to give that over to God and say, God, I, I want this, I think this is a good thing, but I do not need this to be content? What does that look like for you? Because if we're not experiencing that daily renewal in the gospel, we're gonna lose our saltiness. We're gonna be taking this light that we have and we're gonna be hiding it under a basket. That's the first thing, and when we're doing that, there's three things that we can do to be salt and light for others, and these are the, three, the same three, three things that Jesus did. Okay, the first thing we can do, I wanna encourage you especially, um, think about this as we get ready as a church to serve in the marathon next week. If you haven't signed up yet, you can sign up on the, the Church Center app, you can sign up on the link in the e-news, that we have a chance um, next week to serve all day long um, to a lot of people who are going to be participating and watching the American Tobacco Trail uh, Marathon, think about these, these next three things I'm going to say. Think about what it looks like for you as you're serving there, and really any day and everywhere, but especially next weekend as we're serving at the marathon. What does it look like for you to put these three things into practice? Number one, the first thing we can do is to notice. Notice. Like I said, Jesus was not too caught up in his life and his worries that the people around him became this nameless, faceless blob. What about you? Do you take the time to notice people around you? This is a practice we can put into our lives, a habit we can put into our lives on a daily basis. And I encourage you, next weekend, as you're serving at the marathon, or any time, but especially next weekend, just take 30 seconds. Take 30 seconds and just notice the people who are around you. Just notice the people around you. What do they look like? What can you tell from their body language? What can you tell, well, what do you hear them saying? What do you see them doing? What do you think that person is going through? You know, an example for me is my, my next door neighbor. I, I don't see him much because he's, he's really busy and, and we're really busy. But the few times our paths have crossed, we've kind of had these like driveway conversations. And uh, he, he just, he seems... He seems like he's always in a rush. And I asked him this past week, I said, hey, what you doing for the weekend? He said, man, I'm just working, just working. That's all we do is work. And I started to notice, it seems like my neighbor is feeling kind of tired. It seems like he's feeling tired, okay? This is something I've heard a lot from people that will say, I'm an introvert. Can I still share the gospel if I'm an introvert? Can I still be salt and light if I'm an introvert? One thing introverts are really good at doing is noticing, is noticing the people around you. Who are the people around you? What does it look like they're going through? So just like my, my neighbor, I see that he seems tired. He seems like he's overworked. And so I just said a quick prayer, God, you know, help, help so-and-so to get rest. Help him to get rest. That's the first thing we can do is notice. The second thing we can do is to have compassion, to have compassion. You know, we have this natural grid I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, but, but subconsciously, and sometimes consciously, when we interact with somebody, especially a new person, we subconsciously will kind of run them through this grid, and the grid is something like, friend or foe, is this good guy or bad guy? You, know, you kind of hear what they're saying, you see, you see their body language, you see how they're dressed, you, you hear them say something about the pandemic, and you think, oh, no, that person's not on my team, or oh, it seems like this person's on my team right? Friend or foe? Well, what compassion means is that we stop, when we interact with people, we stop asking, good guy or bad guy? Friend or foe? And instead of seeing them as friends or foes, we see them as people who have a story. Not as a friend or not as a foe, but as people who have a story. People who matter to God who have a story. Whether that's seeing somebody who is a trans person? Seeing somebody who looks very differently from you, seeing somebody who believes something differently, different politically than you, or just meeting somebody that you don't know anything about. This is a person that God cares about who has a story, and when we start to see them that way, we can start to ask questions. Um, here, here's a list of some questions. I'm going to put these in the uh, in the ch- in the church family Slack group. Here's a list of some good questions that you can ask. Um, you know. And in, in, in no particular order, but here are some as you think about serving at the marathon next weekend. Here are a few good questions you can consider asking when you have the opportunity. The simple ones like, where are you from? Where are you from? What did you like most about living there? If If it's appropriate, you can even ask, what's your faith background? Have you ever been to church? Other questions you could ask, Just questions about, you know, how they've been doing recently. Say, hey, how's life been going recently with your job? How have things been going recently with your kids, with your family? You could ask them something if it's appropriate. You could ask them, you know, what impact has the pandemic had on your life in the past two years? What impact has the pandemic had on on you and your family? You could ask them something like, how did you get into that field that you're in? How did you get into that job field? Maybe if it seems like the conversation's going deeper and, and it's appropriate, you could even ask them, what do you consider to be success in life? What do you want your family or your career to look like in five or 10 years? These are some questions you could ask. You know, Lindsay was at the uh, the playground the other day and she was talking to this 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 lady uh, who happened to be from from, from Cuba and it strikes up a conversation and finds out that this lady's a homeschool mom. And they're, they're kinda talking and um, and the, the lady happens to mention that they are using a particular homeschool curriculum. So Lindsay just happened to know, because she's in that world, oh, that's one that's put out by a Christian organization. And so Lindsay just asked, like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Do, do you have a, a faith background, or do you have any beliefs? And the person said, um, well, no, I mean, I'm not a, I don't consider myself a Christian, but I've always believed in God. i always believed in God. I think there might be an opportunity to follow up with a few other questions there. I think there are. So number two is having compassion. Number three, we can pray. Finally, we can pray. We can do two types of prayer. Number one, silent prayer. Just, just like I was saying, you know, I see my neighbor. He looks kind of tired. God, please help so-and-so to get rest. Please, please bless this person. Please help them to have a good day. We can do kind of those brief, silent prayers. And as we get to know people on a more deep level, we can start doing a prayer list where we say, here are people I wanna commit to praying for on a deeper level. And this afternoon, the church Slack group, I'm gonna put out a list of ways you can be praying for people, both kind of silently in the moment, and then on a deeper level, if there's people that you wanna put on your prayer list. And I encourage you to look at those. Well, guys, God has called us to be salt and light. He's called us to be a city on a hill. And we have the chance to do that every single day, and especially this coming weekend. So I encourage you to, to sign up for that and to to serve, and I'm excited to see what God's gonna do. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being here today. And I just ask that you would empower us, empower us every single day, and especially next weekend. Help us to be salt and help us to be light. And I pray these things in, uh, in Jesus' name, amen.